It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, and thy faithfulness every night, upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. So there's one place in the, and this is the Hebrew hymn book, you know that, the book of Psalms? It's the Hebrew hymn book. And uh, this is one place where we find that worship should be solemn. Not always, but there are times when worship should be solemn. That means to be grave or sincere or serious, real earnest, sober type of a, of a worship. Um, and as I'm reading through this, you know what I think about? I think about when I'm at home and, and try this, try this yourself. When you're at home in your own daily devotions, try opening up your devotions with prayer and ask the Lord to help you to concentrate and, and to really have a meaningful time to really get something out of your Bible reading. And then try reading your Bible and maybe even mix that in with uh, either reading a hymn. It's, hymn books are great for devotion. Try reading a hymn. You don't have to sing it out loud. The words are powerful uh, in some of those old hymns. Or try reading a devotion. And then just as I'm sitting there and I do that, I, I think I need to read slow enough to really understand what I'm reading. You know, I'm not setting a, a timer in 10 minutes. I'm going to do my Bible reading. I take my time because I want to like, I want to take it in. I want to digest it. And I think about that when I'm reading scripture in church. Church should be a time where we learn how to worship God and we learn how to study the Bible and we learn how to read the Bible. That's, that's one of the things church should accomplish. And I think about that as I'm reading it. Sometimes you hear a preacher and they just read through the scripture so fast, you can just tell they don't really care what the Bible says. I mean, they'd say that they do, but not by their actions, because if you really gave honor and gave God's word its due, you would read through it slowly so that God's word can get to the hearts of his people Verse 4, for thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man, that's a man that's senseless, stupid would work there. A man that doesn't have good sense. A brutish man knoweth not Neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. You say, who's that? All the founders of Google. Amazon, World Health Organization, United Nations, EU, the, the American Education Association. Just go right on down the list. All the people that are against God and against his word. Most of our politicians. Verse 10, but my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against 
me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. There's no unrighteousness in him. Now, you ought to know as we read that psalm that that psalm will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. That's a millennial psalm. Uh, So that's doctrinally how that will apply. There will be a time when God's saints, the righteous, are here on the earth and the wicked are removed. Um, And there will be a time when the righteous, they will... They will be like the palm tree. The palm tree is a very fruitful tree. It, it's, a, it's a tall tree. It's a picture of life, of victory is what that is. And then the, the, the cedar tree, that tree there um, in Lebanon, at that time, they say it would grow to be 120 feet high, 30 feet in diameter. Can you imagine a chainsaw to cut something down like that? But a cedar tree is a pleasant tree. Its grain is real fine. You can't corrupt it. It's strong. And that's a picture of the kind of life that we'll have in the millennium. Uh, the earth dwellers, they'll live for a long time, just like they did back in the day with, with Adam you know, and his descendants. They lived for 900 years. The, the dwellers on earth during the millennial kingdom will live for a long time, just like that. You and I will have glorified bodies. We'll live forever. But life will go back to being the curse removed, you know. Life will be fully blessed by God. And the righteous will flourish and bear fruit up into old age. And when it says old age, it's not talking about 70, 80, 90 years. It's talking about old age, hundreds of years people will live. They'll live as long as the trees is what the Bible teaches us. But that's the doctrinal aspect of that. But tonight I want to look at the practical side of it, really. The practical side and... And I have uh, for my topic, uh, not exactly preaching to the choir, that's not exactly the topic, but I think you'll see what I'm talking about and why I said that. But my topic tonight is doing something good with your life. Doing something good with your life. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the word of God. Uh, Lord, we want to honor your word here Um, We want to praise you while we have any breath in us. We want to serve you while we can. The night's coming when no man can work. But as it is now, it's day and and we have life, we have strength, and uh, we have the ability to serve you. And so I I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, uh, like Jay's prayed in his prayer, that you'd help us. And that's a good prayer, Lord. It's a good prayer just to come to you and just to say, help, Lord. And because uh, we know where our help comes from. And we just, we pray that you'd help us to spend the rest of our lives doing something good with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, I am preaching to the choir tonight, right? Because the choir, when I think of that phrase, I think the choir is the cream of the crop, right? I mean, to be in the choir, like I said this morning, you've really got to be committed to church, Because you're not just a 
come, you know, on Sunday morning every once in a while Christian. No, you're, you're the type of Christian you want to come and then you start seeing things that need to be done and you want to help out here and there and, and you become faithful and, and uh, you got a good testimony and, and so therefore you're a good example. We can put you up here in front of others and, and you're committed enough that you want to be a part of the choir, you know, and that's a good, that's a good uh, step to take and we ought to all be that committed. But, you know, people in church are in different stages, in their walk with the Lord. They're, they're in different levels of growth. You know, there's babes and then there's full grown and mature Christians. People are at different places. They're kind of on different paths. And so we need to be mindful of that and not look down on others. Uh, but, you know, like somebody said this morning during Sunday school, I think it was Randy. We got some of these newer Christians in here and they're just getting started. And then there's some who have been around for a while. Like, uh, did you say 55 years you've been saved, brother? been serving the Lord and been saved for 55 years. So we're all at different levels and everything. When I say preaching to the choir, I mean preaching to the people who are fully committed to what God is doing in this local church. And, uh, and I know that what I'm saying, you know, the other way that we use that expression, I'm just preaching to the choir. That's a group of people that already agree with what I'm saying, you know. You already have the same political views that I have. Uh, you already believe the same way that, that I do. But does that mean we just stop having church and go home so we got it all figured out? No. No, we need to preach to the choir even because even those seasoned saints, faithful believers committed, still need the ministry of the Word of God, still need to have a fresh touch from God, a fresh word from God, still need the encouragement that comes from believers, and God's not done with us, because if he was done with us, I would know, amen? Because he'd take us out of here. But he's not done with us yet, so he's got something for us to do, and we are to be encouraged to be continuing on in good works. Now, I have something here for you to do, and it's not going to involve coming in and cleaning the nursery, or sweeping the carpet, or you know, washing the windows, or working on the lawn. It's nothing like that, okay? But we still have work to do, so let's look at it real quick. I want to do something good with the rest of my life. It says in verse 1, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. You know, I've reached a point in my life where I'm asking myself questions. I don't know if you want to call it a midlife crisis or what. But I'm asking myself questions. And, you know, a lot of people ask these questions. Can I be assured that my life has meaning? And purpose? You ever ask yourself that question? I want my life to count for something. Don't you? And I think, I've only got so much time. I only have one shot at this. At this life. I'm going to live forever. I understand that. But I only have one shot at this life as a redeemed (laughs) son of Adam. You know? I only got one shot to serve the Lord. And I want to know, does my life have meaning? Does it have purpose? Is it serving purpose? And I, and I think sometimes the devil would like to tell us that, no, your, your life doesn't amount to anything. Your life doesn't amount to a hill of beans. And you're not making a dent at all. And uh, you ought to just give up. Or nobody will care if you come to church anymore. You might as well just stay home. Nobody will miss you. They don't need you around there. And And I think sometimes we get discouraged and we think that maybe our lives don't count for something. You know, as a preacher, 
forgive me for saying this and don't read too much into it, but sometimes preachers look at churches like stepping stones. They'd look at a church like this, like a stepping stone, right? They're going to stay here for a little bit, get some experience, but then they want to go on to something better, bigger and better, right? Would that make my life more meaningful? Would that give me more purpose? And you know, you're right, brother, because at the end of the day, what matters the most? Just being faithful and being where God wants you to be. That's what matters. But still, I'm human and the, the devil, he's got a thousand devices that he can deploy against us and use these things to, to get us off track, really. But we start thinking, we, we want our lives to count for something. And I do. In this passage, it tells us about something that we can do that the Bible says is good. You want to do something good with your life? Well, give thanks Unto the Lord. And, here's the choir, sing praises unto his name, to the Most High. You say, well, that's not a big deal. I'm not so sure about that. Do you know what God has the heavenly host of angels doing in heaven? Singing. God created millions of these heavenly beings. And when God started thinking about, I wonder what I'll have them do. God thought, I'll have them singing and praising me. Do you know what we're going to do <laughs> when we get to heaven? We're going to sing a new song. And it's not going to have some beat that we can't get a hold of. And uh, it, Beth is doing a great job leading the choir, but we had this song tonight that just had this strange introduction that wasn't what we're used to on that old holy night. There's going to be a new song, and we're going to be Singing, because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to sing his praises. Amen. I wonder what my glorified voice will sound like. Uh, Andre Pacelli or something like that. Well, I'll be, I don't know what it'll sound like, but it'll be a glorious sound. And most, most importantly, it'll please the Lord. Amen. You know, when we sing, we're not doing it for ourselves necessarily. We're not doing it to impress the church, you know, with... Uh, with what we've accomplished or how much we've improved. That's not what it's all about. We want to do our best, don't we? I mean, the Bible says whatsoever you do, do it heartily. That's with all of our heart. And we certainly try to do our best, but we're not trying to sing for the audience out in the pews. Really, we're trying to sing for an audience of one. He's first. And then the Bible says also when we sing, it does something for everybody else as well. So there is a vertical and there's a horizontal. It admonishes folks. And it's good for people to see us singing praises, giving thanks. You say, what are you talking about? Well, up in that choir, you don't know what all folks might be dealing with. And you go throughout the course of the year and people are looking at these ladies up here singing and these men. And then God brings one of us through a, a trial. I mean, one of those soul-shaking, just mind-numbing trials and then to watch that person get up faithfully Sunday after Sunday and sing thanks to the Lord and give Him praise, that does something for the people out there, that ministers to the people out there. It's good for kids to see that, I believe. But it's just good. You say, why? Because God says it is. So if you want to do something good, here's something you can do with your life. I was walking 
My grandpa Westover's land, he has land right along Interstate 70. And uh, right at the intersection there of 70 and 77, if you head east on 70 and then just run up over the hills, you'd be right there where my grandpa Westover's land was. And he had a lot of land and sold it over the years. And that's what he did. Uh, he was a surveyor and, and he surveyed land and he ended up buying a bunch of it and selling some of it to the fire department and other people selling it privately as plots. But uh, I was going to take some of my grandpa's land after he passed away and, and I was going to get it. And I, I tried it out for a while. And I remember walking that land and just memories, you know, of, I was close to my grandpa. On one hill was my grandpa and the other hill was my family with the, with the trailer. And I, you know, mom would have us there with the kids and, and me and my sister Judy would run down the hill down our gravel driveway and go up the other hill, up that gravel driveway to see grandma and grandpa all the time. And just so many memories there. So many memories. My first time ever going rabbit hunting, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I remember after my grandpa passed, and I, I wanted to get that land, and I wanted to keep it going, you know, and, and it's not what God had for me. But as I was just walking around and looking at it all, and it was a little bit overwhelming because he had so many projects that he had started but not finished, and a neighbor came over to say hello, and uh, it was actually the guy who lived in the house that I grew up in, uh, and he said, uh, he said to me, your grandpa sure left his mark on this land. And they kind of paused, and then I think he figured out that that would be kind of a kind of a slight thing to say to me or like a snarky thing or backhanded compliment or something. So he said, and on the community. And I think what he meant is your, your grandpa sure, you know, did a lot of things around here and made his mark, but none of them are finished. And, and I, but I wondered what he meant by that whole thing. And I think that maybe he wanted to just say something nice about my grandpa, but you know, nobody remembers my grandpa today. That's the sad truth of it. Nobody but my family and people that were real close to him. He's forgotten. And, and you know, there's people who have great works, things that they do. They, they've accomplished a lot of things in their lives. And for the most part, no one remembers. We will be forgotten. We will. Yes. And, and I, get, I get emails from the Encyclopedia Britannica every day, and it says, on this day, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did that. And I was like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know. And they were big things. But you know what? No one remembers. Unless we make special holidays and special times to remember. That's what's so good about uh, family reunions, by the way. That's kind of a rabbit trail. But that's what's so good about family reunions. It keeps the family close, and we remember. And, but I thought about that, and so I thought, Life moves on. We're forgotten. So what is it that I can do with my life if I want to be assured that my life has meaning and that it has purpose? I want my life to count for something. Well, the Bible says it's good to give thanks to the Lord. So, all right, then let's go ahead and do that. And that's exactly what a church choir does. That's what a congregation does when we sing at church. This psalm here, if you notice the title on the top, it says a psalm or song for the Sabbath day. This song was actually written for the Hebrew people to sing in their worship. They sang it on the Sabbath, and evidently they sang it in and around the temple area. Because by the wording that's in the rest of the psalm, they used instruments, you know, and, and verse number three. So evidently this was a psalm for public worship. And it's a lot like the songs that we sing today. 
We sing these kind of songs, and our hymn books are filled with hundreds of songs. And these people who write these psalms or these hymns, they have a gift from the Lord, and they're just gifted at just putting into words the thoughts that are common to every believer and the feelings and the, and the, the things that we go through in life and, and putting into words the doctrine, the, the great doctrines of the faith that we find in the Bible in a way that you and I don't have the talent to do. And so we can read them and, and we can meditate on them and it can be beneficial to us spiritually and it can help us to express ourselves to the Lord and help us just sometimes just to feel that God cares and that God knows and to put our mind on heavenly things. You know, in a, in a choir, when we're up here singing and praising and thanking the Lord, just like we did this morning, we sang, we thank the Lord, you know. We sang that, and we were modeling for the rest of the church just exactly what God wants us to do. God says it's a good thing for us to give thanks unto the Lord. But I guess I'm preaching to the choir, right? <laughs> According to the title of this psalm, it's a song. According to the instruments used, we're judging that it's used for public worship. And according to some of the things that are said, we can judge that the theme is praise and thanksgiving. But did you notice that the psalmist, we don't know who he is or who it was, but the psalmist is praising God because of the judgment of the wicked. Notice verses 4 through 9. Those were the verses that covered the judgment of the wicked. And then verses 10 through 15 his blessings on the righteous. And as I said, it's a millennial psalm. Could you run me a tissue up? Now, we worship differently than they did back in that day. Because we don't go to a temple to worship. Thank you. And she looked cute in that dress and those boots. We don't go to a temple to worship. Remember, Jesus had that conversation with that woman of Samaria. And she, she wanted to know because she said, my ancestors, they go up on a mountain, which is what people used to do before the temple and the tabernacle. And she said, your people down there, they go, to the, they go to the temple. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, there's coming a day when the Father is seeking true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth, Right. And, and, and it won't be up on a mountain, and it won't be in a temple. It'll be wherever God's true worshipers are found. They come together, and when they come together, they are the house of God. Our bodies are the temple. And so God has for us a different style of worship. We don't follow the worship that's led by priests and Levites and these kind of instruments. But you might find it interesting to know this, that when I was in Israel, I went to that temple institute. And uh, that's the place where they're gathering all of the different uh, instruments and utensils and pieces of furniture that they're going to need when they set up the third temple. And they've got everything there ready. And they say they know the location of the ark. But, you know, as I was touring through that thing, you weren't allowed to take pictures or video of this, although I know some people who did. But um, behind glass uh, cases, enclosed in glass, were these instruments that they had built. According to the Bible, the descriptions given in the Bible, 
they had the, the psalteries. A psaltery is an instrument that is a stringed instrument, and it is designed to accompany psalm singing. So it would be a melodic instrument. The, the, the harp, that's an instrument that's played with one hand. David played that. They had these beautiful looking harps there that would be like what, what David had, and you just played it with one hand, that's all. You held on to it and played it with one hand, and these, these ten strings... Coming down, and the thing that you held was the, the kind of like the speaker that produced the sound from the strings. And we could see these instruments in real life, and they had horns there because there will be uh, priests that are blowing horns, and they're all ready to go. And and we saw pictures, beautiful paintings of God's people gathered outside of the temple, um, and the the choir standing there, and some holding harps, some with horns, and and just to imagine what that will sound like one of these days. When they strike up the choir outside of the temple, you know, the third temple that will be built. And when they play those psalteries that would carry the melody so that people would know when to sing. And, and then the harps with the harmony. And that's the kind of worship that's explained here. For us, you know, this morning I was playing a guitar, an instrument of six strings. You know, and I had it plugged into an amp and it's a little bit different today. But, you know, it's just fine if we don't have any instruments. And really the important thing is not... Not the instruments. Use the harp with a solemn sound. Because they're good, but you know what God wants to hear? God wants to hear our voices. Now, I told you I was preaching to the choir, but listen, this is for everybody. When we get this thing out, and we open this thing up, I think God is offended by our worship when we just mindlessly mouth the words and go through the song and we don't think about what we're saying and it's not coming from here. I think we need to watch that because this is one thing he told us to do and he told us it's good. And so we need to make sure that we just get into it. I know sometimes, I know, you've been singing these songs all your life. And we're trying to add new stuff. You know, we, we need to do that. We need to always be trying to improve our music ministry because it is so very important. And we're doing that, you know. But I know, I know how it is sometimes. And sometimes your heart doesn't feel like singing. But I'm telling you, if you're just singing from your mouth and you're not singing from your heart, I don't think that's acceptable to the Lord. The Lord says it's a good thing to give thanks and to sing praises. I think when we sing, we need to sing from the heart and we need to take time to look at the words. There's nothing wrong. Hey, there's nothing wrong with standing there in church just like this. You don't have to be looking around. Hey, everybody look at me. You know, you don't have to be doing none of that. Just with your nose buried in a hymn book. You say, oh, that's old fashioned. That's, that's, that's the way grandma used to do it. I like what evangelist Sam Gibbs says. He said, you need your grandmother's church. You do. I'm not saying that all those new songs, that they're all bad. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's some good hymns in here. Rich hymns. Rich hymnody. Poetry. Full of doctrine. And sing it from the heart. You say it just sounds so different. Yeah, it sounds different. It's God's music. It ought to sound different than the world. If I'm worldly and I live for the flesh and I live for, you know, just having my fun and doing my own thing, I come into church, I'm not going to enjoy singing these things. This isn't made for the world. (laughs) That's good. I'm going to amen myself. This isn't made for the world. 
This is made for God's people. And so when we come in, we really, I mean, I think God would be pleased even if you're, you know, you're like, well, you don't want to hear me sing, you know. Um, even if you're just singing kind of to yourself and just, but really, it's just between you and the Lord, you know, really into it. I think the Lord is pleased with that. Uh, I know he is, according to his word. And we worship differently than they did back in those days. And do you know what, though? Psalm 92 will be fulfilled. They will worship at the temple in the millennial kingdom. And the wicked will be gone. And the righteous will be before the Lord. And they will give him thanks and give him praise and see him upon his throne. It's wonderful to think about. There are blessings on the righteous. In verse 2, just as we finish this up, he said, It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness. You know, God had raised up the Hebrew people because he wanted them to praise him and give him thanks and be a witness to the rest of the world because the rest of the world, they were pagans and idolaters. Down in Egypt, they had, they had hundreds of gods. In Canaan, they had gods there. They had Molech and they had different gods that they worshipped. And, and the Hebrew people were raised up by God to say to the rest of the world, there is only one God and he is most high. He's higher above all of these other gods, these idols, which are really no gods. They're false gods. And you remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray with that model prayer? He said, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. You know why he said that? Because the pagans' gods were here on earth. The Roman pagans, they thought Caesar was a god. They, their, their gods were little statues. And they thought if you interact with these statues enough and meditate on them, that somehow you can have an experience with a god. And Jesus said, no, your father is in heaven. And so God's people are supposed to sing to the Most High and declare that there is only one God. And he sent his son, Jesus, and he's the only Savior. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. To sing unto the Most High and to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. You know, in verse 2, we should thank the Lord each morning. Every day. Maybe even before you get out of bed. To just lay there. You say, what am I supposed to thank the Lord for? Well, maybe we ought to just open it up to discussion. But I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I wake up. <laughs> I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I'm not in a big hurry to get there unless Jesus comes back. You know, I, I want to serve the Lord. But I'm glad that I wake up. You say, oh, that's not a big deal. I don't know. There's a lot of 40-somethings who don't wake up. It is a big deal, ain't it? Yeah. And, and, and the longer you live, the more grateful you are. And so I hear about those things, and I think, Lord, I'm thankful for another day. Amen. You know, or I'm thankful. Now, this is silly. I know. But I'm, I'm thankful that when I throw my leg out, my back doesn't go out. And I can stand up straight. Because, you, 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 know, you know, I have arthritis and sometimes I throw out my back. When I first got here that first year, 
I threw, <laughs> threw out my back, and I, pe- I think people were wondering, like, what did you do exactly to throw out your back? All I did was just turn, pick up something, and that was it. I'm thankful I can stand up straight. We had that brother in here preaching, and Dave Yoakum, he's in a wheelchair, you know, for the rest of his life. That's what God has for him. I'm thankful I don't have headaches. Some people suffer from great migraine headaches every day. And they, they, they can't go out and they've got to sit in a room and it's dark. And, and it keeps them from doing a lot that they would like to do. A lot of things to be thankful for. I'm thankful that I can take the breath in. God gives me the air that I breathe. That my heart's still working. Every beat of my heart is a gift from God. Every day is a gift. And it'll never be repeated, right? Every day is individual and unique that God gives to us. And it's an opportunity to glorify Him just to enjoy His presence. Every day. So we ought to be thankful every day. And because he says to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning. As I look at my day ahead of me and, and uh, we all ought to be faithful to do this every day. And God help us to be. But to say, Lord, I look forward to seeing your loving kindness throughout the day. I expect his loving kindness to be like a banner that's flying over my head. And it is over me. And everything that I'm going to do and everywhere I'm going to go and everyone I'm going to meet, I know that I have God's loving kindness over me. It's not always easy for me to be loving. And it's not always easy for me to be kind, but I'm not God. And you know what? I know it's not always easy for us to be loving or to be kind because the Bible actually tells us we have to be told, be ye kind one to another. Book of Ephesians, right? Why would God have to tell us that if we didn't already have that one nailed down? We don't. So God has to tell us and give us a command, be ye kind. Be kind. Be kind. You know? Yes, play nice. Yes, share. Forgive. You know? No, you can't hit them back just because they hit you. Um, Yeah, we got to be told. Uh, the, the older ladies are supposed to teach the younger ladies, the, the younger mothers, to do what? To love their children. Why do we have to be taught to love our children? Because it doesn't come naturally. Why do we have to be told to love our husbands? You see, but God, he's God. And every day, you can count on it, steady as the water's running down the Ohio River, God's loving kindness. Every day, all day, through everything that you go through. You know, I, I just, uh, I'll have to wrap this up now, but I've told you about Merle Johnson before. Uh, he was a friend of mine. He served in Vietnam. And he had uh, some health troubles towards the end of his life that really he shouldn't have had. And the doctors couldn't figure it out, but they thought it must have been related to Agent Orange at some point or some time he was exposed to it and... And uh, what happened was he started to lose his strength in the latter years of his life. And one day he was just getting up out of bed and he just realized, man, it is really a struggle just to lift my body up. Trying to get dressed and his arms just felt so weak. And as this thing progressed, he got so weak that sometimes he'd be trying to take off his shirt and then he'd have to sit down on his bed to do that. And then he'd just fall back on his bed, couldn't get himself back up. He might be like that for... You know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour till his wife uh, comes back. Just stuck on the bed. Losing his strength. 
Uh, he couldn't. He got to the point where he couldn't dress himself. He couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't bathe himself. You can imagine. Needed help eating, and his his dear wife was there to take care of him. But you can imagine the pressure that that would put on you as a caregiver and stuff. And you know what? If we were to go through something like that, you know what we'd be faced with? We would be faced with this question: Is God enough for you? If God took everything else away, would God be enough? And I think that's the kind of thing that he tries us with when we go through things like that, because God is enough. God is enough. Now, I don't want to go through a trial like that. I don't. But if God took everything away from you in your life, is God enough? Does he mean that much to you? You say, I don't know. You better get real close to him, because we don't know what we're going to go through. But we need to have that kind of a faith that every day wakes up and thanks the Lord for his loving kindness all day long. He's better to us than we deserve. And we ought to thank the Lord at night. He says, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Each night we should thank the Lord for faithfully bringing us through another day. And God will always, always, always be faithful to us. Others might not, but God will. Dr. Charles Weigel, he was a Baptist evangelist. He wrote around 1,000 hymns. He died December 3rd, 1966 at the age of 95. He's one of my favorite hymn writers. He wrote that song, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Yeah, I love that hymn. After he was called to be an evangelist, his wife came to him one day and said, I'm leaving. I don't want to live the life that you are living. I want to go the other way. I want the bright lights, is what she said to him. Their only child, a daughter, went with her. And do you know that five years passed before Charles Weigel was able to write another hymn? He's, he wrote over a thousand hymns in his lifetime. That hurt him so much. It took him five years before he's ready to sing again and to write a hymn. But just a few years after his wife left, sadly, she died due to her life of sin. And uh, he ended up remarrying. And God used him mightily. Hundreds of people in one revival shortly after his wife left him. Hundreds of people were saved in that revival meeting. It was a town, Billy Sunday said, don't even bother going there. And he said, well, the Lord wants me to go there. And so he said, well, okay, have at it. And he went to that town and, and saw several hundred saved in one evangelistic meeting. God used him mightily. But that man, after everything was taken away from him, said, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. He wrote that hymn after that. There's no other friend so kind as he No one else can take the sin and the darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. He's faithful. And so we need to thank him as we look back over the day and make sure that we thank him for his faithfulness and not just take it for granted. There's so many things we just take for granted and never give the Lord thanks for. Well, as we finish this up, he said, do it upon an instrument of ten strings. And upon the harp and all of those things. But you know, you and I can do that when we're in uh, public worship. But at home, he doesn't expect us to, to play an instrument or even to sing at home. 
but he does want us to give thanks. When we come to church, we have the hymns to help us to do it. But at home, he wants us to do it every morning and every evening. It's good. You say, why is it good? Well, the Lord deserves our gratitude. It's good for us, the one who offers this thanks, because you don't want to go on the rest of your life in the dumps. And thanking the Lord has a way of getting us out of the dumps so that we can be fruitful and still bear fruit in old age. So it's good for us when we give thanks. just kind of opens up the dam and lets us pour out our heart to the Lord. And uh, I'll tell you what else. It's, it's good for others to see. It's good for others to see. And uh, the only perfect man who ever walked this earth was named Jesus of Nazareth. And he always gave thanks. Sometimes when you read the Gospels, notice how many times he says thanks, gives thanks. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this message tonight, preaching to the choir tonight. But Lord, oh, how we need to hear it, how we need these reminders. Help us in our weakness, in our frailty. Uh, God, you are enough. And I pray that you would help us to understand that from our hearts. Please assure our hearts in these things. Uh, give, us, give us strength to be faithful to you and, and from one day to another, just walking with you in our own simple way and, and a sincere faith from the heart. And Lord, uh, we'll be sure to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. I pray that you'd bring us back safely as we depart from here on uh, Tuesday night uh, to, to give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.